Okay, brethren, good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hawley of the Golden Hours Podcast, and this is a GDP Minute. I'm in studio with my man, Gio. His last name is Geronimo. I said it kind of sounds like he's a porn star, but I digress. He's doing a great job engineering these episodes. And um, a little background on today's episode. Before I tell you anything about the guest, please, guys, if you get any sort of value from this episode, whether you laugh, cry, learn something, please share it with a friend. You know we're just trying to connect with every filmmaker out here, every producer, every director. So those GDP boys, those Golden Deer boys can be in a position to make another movie. And I think we're doing a good job at it. But today, Johnny Hickey, continuing the Boston theme. Great dude. What a fucking story about falling off an 80-foot cliff. That was crazy, Gio. Don't you think? Yeah, the guy had stories, man. Um, Essentially, before I made Apple Cinema, there was Johnny Hickey about 10 years before. And he had made an independent film in Boston called Oxymorons. And uh, just hustled it. Like, the way he was talking about describing how he made the movie, it was like the same thing I did. Just no matter what, just kept going, trying to make it happen. Um, And now he's out here. He's working on other projects. I watched his movie Habitual on Amazon Prime. It was a horror film. And he's a hustler, man. He's just a doer. You know, he doesn't overthink things, get stuff done. And really lucky to have him on the podcast. It was a little bit shorter because he showed up a little bit late, but still a good guy nonetheless. We'll run another one. With that being said, enjoy. This is Johnny Hickey's Golden Hour. Boom. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait. Was that not it? Hey, enter. Just, you forgot to enter. You're never getting out of here. look hot man you look la hot don't worry all right Gio, just give us a hike a 617 guy's just gonna fucking wing it right say it again sure camera's gone Okay, Johnny, as you're getting yourself ready, I just wanted to preface this. So, over the weekend, I'm doing my Boston hustle, you know, networking. Mm-hmm. Seems like you do a good job at that yourself. I'm just trying to meet people. And I meet this young man who's hustling out in North Hollywood. And so, I just got you on Instagram. But I just, anyone who wears our shit or wears a wristband, I'll take a picture of him. This guy sees me. I give him a wristband. He's like, yo, man. I just started my own clothing brand. I'll give you a hat for free. Can you promote it on the podcast? And I was like, bro, 100%, you're grinding, absolutely. I didn't look at the hat. <laughs> but on my way here, I did. And I'm going to turn it towards the camera. It says, I heart my deep throat queen. <laughs> and there is a, a Mario Birdo logo on it. So I got finessed, but there's your clip, brother. I'll send it over to you. Free marketing. You could have got handed a lot worse out here, honestly. That's that's bad, but you did. That's what that's could be worse than I heart my deep throat. <laughs> I don't know. You'll see. You'll see after you get used to it out here. It's 
It's fucking wild for sure. Now, on my right, camera left, we're continuing the Boston theme on the show. Okay. I got Johnny Hickey. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me, my man. Thank you. Um, I obviously know who you are. Can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do to anyone who tunes in? Uh, filmmaker, actor from Boston, Massachusetts, Charlestown specifically, born and raised on the projects there. Um, lived a crazy fucking adolescence, I guess you would say. Um, you know, in and out of jail, robbing pharmacies, yada, yada, yada. The drug life, the, you know, uh, crime. Had a near-death experience. Turned my life around. Made a film about it. Had pretty decent success with the distribution of my first film and kind of launched my career. So took a bunch of negative shit being from Boston, who I was and turned it into some fucking positive shit, getting shit done out there. And, you know, yeah, well, I think as I told you, the first time I got hip to what you do is I literally was talking to a firefighter and he goes, Oh bro, you're not the first person to make a movie in Boston. There was a, a, a dude just like you, like five, eight years ago who made one. And so that's how I'd heard of oxymorons in the first place. That's dope. What's dope? But ten years later, people are still talking about the project. Oxymorons is one of those. I, I hate like tooting it too much. I feel like a douche with these shades on. Um, it's like hard to like you know because it's your own film. You don't want to be like, and it's ten years old. You want to be too showy with it. But it's a timeless piece. Um, it attacked um, an issue specifically in Boston and Charlestown, be it the opiate epidemic and the oxycontin stuff that. Still to this day, I mean, people have done like recently Hulu did a series on like the drug side of it and the pharmaceutical side, but nobody's really touched on anything like that. N never mind besides meeting you. And I haven't really met anyone from the city outside of studio films commenting to shoot there that has even tried to complete anything as far as a story goes. Um, but Oxy resonates with people who are affected by drugs, people that love real Boston because I'm from the fucking city. Nine out of ten people who make movies in Boston really, even no, no matter how much they research or who they're hanging out with, to be from there is this specific little thing. So when you watch it as a fan from Boston, it's another layer of like why that film sticks with you. And then just the story behind it, you know, me, like being a kid from Boston with no film school experience, got my GD in prison and made a fucking movie from A to Z, like wrote it, directed it started you know what i mean wore all these fucking hats did you do post-production in boston too or so the first um batch so the first cut i should say was um done at selfie in a basement for like a hundred dollars a day with this editor paul buell fucking hustling fucking hustling um it was it was strange i found a camera rental place and i needed lenses to do some pickup scenes and i had, was shooting on red at the time and nobody was shooting on no one even fucking how did you get your hands red. on a red so i started when I decided I wanted to make a movie and I wrote the script, instead of coming directly out here and like trying to get money and stuff, I went, I, w I had this fantasy in my mind that like you make a dope film and it's so dope and so real and so gritty that Sundance Film Festival sees it and this is the ignorance of my my adolescent filmmaking, right? And they're going to love it and it's going to, that's going to, you know, that's how it's going to explode. That's the only way to make it explode. Um, so went out to Sundance Film Festival doing events working for events and stuff networking on that side of started in, in the distribution side of things and the festival side of things um instead of coming out and doing the, the what people typically do which is try to raise money for the script and everything and being out there they would be d promoting things that were like up and coming in the industry obviously so red was there and everybody went to this red conference and i stole somebody's um like whatever fucking badge to get into this event and i was like that's what i want to shoot my first film on and 
you know, oxymorons was probably just something that was meant to be mixed with my hustle. That all the moving pieces came together, and I found a guy in Hadley, Mass. So Hadley's out like fucking Weston, like where I was East Bumfuck, and uh, he was a Chilean DP who shot stuff in National Geographic. He was shooting like eagles or fucking hawks or something in Western Mass that were doing something. And so I found this Chilean DP that owned a Red One camera, had a, a good lens kit with it. And you said, bro, I'll give you a green card, mm-hmm. shoot my movie. Well, no, he's like, Johnny, I never shoot the film before. And, uh, you know, what do you, how you want me to shoot? I go, dude, shoot it just like you're shooting them fucking hawks and mountain lions and shit and chili, <laughs> dude. Like, you're never going to see it again. Animals killing each other, just, you know, very raw. And, and he did it. He did an amazing job. Um, but so the post-production, you know, we had this first cut out there. And I ended up bringing in my editor from Oxy out here. Now he's like, he's big. He's a big editor out here. He's like a union A-list editor, but he still cuts my films and we still have that relationship. That's Sugar Studios. Sugar Studios. So he's the editor there. Sugar Studios is a whole family of people, like kind of like A-list post people, you know, they're, they're good. They're great. Um, they're doing like Machine Gun Kelly stuff right now and stuff of Facebook and whoever. They're, they got all kinds of shit going on there, but it's an all-in-one post house. So I have that kind of as an asset and equity, you know, that they're like my family post house. And I work with other post house out here for certain stuff, but I think for me, like, I'm always trying to go back to Paul and have him do the final cut, at least, for me and shit like that. So this is like, when you're shooting this, like, what, 2010 and 11, you're shooting mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. So I learned through YouTube, self-taught, how at this time were you learning? Because that's like the the beta stage of YouTube. People aren't really putting, like, good, valuable stuff on there for filmmakers yet. No, so th- nothing was up there. Like, it was no, like, how-to, you know, kind of shit. So for me, it was just, I was so passionate about it. As a kid, I always wanted that lifestyle. I was I was an extra in a movie, and I snuck in the van with a bunch, like, the A-list, you know, the celebrities of this miniseries I was an extra in, and I went to the to their craft services versus the extras from the project's craft services and got to see this kind of, like, I was a poor kid from the project. What was this called? Brink's job? No, this was um, Common Grounds. It was about the the busing in the seventies with Jane Curtin. And they shot it in Charlestown. And they shot it in Charlestown. The parade scenes. Yep, it took place in Charlestown um, with the forced busing in the seventies. And so I went to this craft service thing where there was just you know all the food I had never fucking seen before in my life. And literally, I was like, I want this, you know. And my escape at the time, growing up in the projects and being around this fucking you know crazy dock life um of just chaos around me a lot of kids would play sports on the weekends i'd play sports but i would always like for me on a saturday go over to the assembly square mall go to the movies over there sneak you know when you could sneak into like an extra movie and i'd watch movies dude and i would pick them apart and i loved horror films i loved actions obviously and i fell in love with like filmmaking i was like i want to make movies someday then, so when it came to your film you already understood the language absolutely yeah so i was i was in school just watch. you know you can watch films and learn if you if you're paying attention to like the lighting the makeup you know what i mean and you, you understand all the kind of shit that goes into making the film a film the sound even you know so many people watch a movie they don't even they hear it but they don't even realize how important sound is to the film you know even just 50, 50. even just like foley you know what i mean like people don't know that stuff so i learned like what is that oh that's foley when you you know put the footsteps in so i self-taught myself just asking questions worked at a comedy club in boston networked with comedians there that got me little roles in short films they were doing for college kids and i would just go and i would just absorb like a sponge everything um you know this is 
post me getting thrown off an 80 foot fucking cliff post me doing three years in jail so i was like young and hungry you know coming out of my early 20s and was like i need to like do this i you know i fucked up 17 to here i have to i have to chase my dream i have to make this happen and i was just able to everything i did from writing the script and getting like james gandolfini interested in optioning it and then once james gandolfini was interested in like trying to buy my story rights it created kind of a a smoke and mirror effect with all these other people like oh he must have something you know that one person then you know people start to think and i guess if you're manifesting and other people are manifesting the same thing it kind of Mm-hmm. all comes to life so i i've and, noticed though i, I, I hate to cut you off no, but no, no, no. i've noticed what a benefit having a hustler mentality especially out here is already like i'm sure that's served you so well i mean like obviously you're, you're not like in, in like an artiste you didn't go to juilliard or anything but i feel the same way like you just gotta fucking get it how you live it yeah well i've that's the thing is like no i didn't take it that level but i've always had that creative side of me and i understand you know all walks of life and how they view things. So even though my stuff's very street and real, I can I can see past that, you know, what people segregate themselves from everybody else, kind of, you know, where I come from, obviously. Um, I just, it, the hunger, the hustle, and, and then the creative things all combined, you can get it done, you know? Like, I had a hustle to, like, eat in jail. I had a hustle to, like, make money to, like, be able to call my family, and you know, just, like, shit like that, for you know, through life, like torturous things i had to do to survive so this stuff is like nothing and like you have to be thick-skinned out here in hollywood like you're gonna get you're gonna meet a hundred people they're gonna tell you they're gonna do this 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 and this and my biggest problem at first with that was like okay i could weed through the people who were obviously like just talking shit and wasting my time but i would always like infamous for this still kind of and I've, i've humbled it a lot but just calling them out you know they don't like to be called out Okay, when you go to a meeting and you have fucking lunch and they're telling you, all right, we're going to do it. And then a week goes by and it's just like some other bullshit excuse, some other bullshit excuse. And I'll just call them up and be like, well, why are you blowing fucking air at my ass? You know what I mean? You're a fucking fraud. Click. Boom. So, but sometimes the blackness, <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes you just got to be careful because it isn't everybody. So you got to always. Kinda, You're a fucking man. fraud. Click. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I've done it. I've done it to a million people. I had a company try to steal the politics first... aren't your thing. No, I had a company try to steal my first film. Um, they offered me like a quarter of a million dollar advance on it. Then they went backpedaled on it after they got the rights to the story. I went and took the guy's fucking keys from the guy at the desk that holds the cockies. He had a Lamborghini or Ferrari. I forget, I forget what it was. It was some high end fucking car. But I'm pretty sure it was a Lamborghini. And I took his keys and took stole his car in the parking lot. And they called my friend David Burns, who plays my brother in Oxymorons, who was vice president of the Los Angeles Times at the time. And they're like, Johnny stole the car because they were stealing my film, you know. And I had nothing to lose at that point. So I was like, David called me. They had me on a three-way. I'm like, I'm going to drive this through. It was in Santa Monica. I'm going to drive this through the fucking the glass windows. I'm going to light the whole fucking building on fire because I legitimately have nothing to lose at this point. And that's... In my mind, I was contemplating fucking doing that. And there was a good chance that if things didn't shift, however they shifted, I may have driven that thing into the fucking building. And David told him, he's like, Johnny will probably drive the thing in the fucking building and light the place on fire. <laughs> um, That's hilarious. I got my film back and somebody well, else. Were they shook? Yeah, yeah. But it, but see that also though, that even though they were shook in the sense of like, all right, that kid's fucking crazy. We shouldn't have done that to him. They probably went on and still did it to a hundred other people after that because that's what they do, and they they're still involved in stuff, right? So nothing that affects me, but 
like that that you know people would be afraid to work with someone like that so i coming out here like my first three weeks out here my first three months out here my first year out here was a ride you know i had to really learn to become the you know chameleon that i've always become and survive in jails and streets and wherever and and apply that here and that has been a benefit to me to be able to go into people know they're fake read through the bullshit and just not deal with them and on to the next and not let it occupy my time and waste my time because my time's more fucking valuable than any money you're ever going to make out here right so um yeah it, it's been a learning lesson with all these things now i had watched like two or three interviews before you came here so I don't, you don't have to delve into this too much if you don't want to, but was it the Quincy quarries you got pushed off of? So, like where all the graffiti is? They were the quarries originally, the quarries there, but they built the Marriott Hotel. You know, the Marriott Hotel that's mm -hmm. right there in 93 when you loop into like Quincy Braintree. So, they built a hotel on quarry cliffs. There was no water. So, it wasn't like a water quarry, but it was that those granite, you know, that granite area. And so, where I went off was. Like it's like a fifty foot drop and like an eighty foot drop, and it's just down into an industrial park, <sighs> and it was literally me, my little brother, and one of my boys at a hotel party, where some shit had just gone down like a day before. I was still obviously in that you know that fucking world of like chaos, and my, the kid I was with the day before stabbed a kid in the face with a Heineken bottle, like fifteen fucking like mangled this kid, disfigured him. So we had no reason being at a hotel party in a neighborhood where the kid who I'm with just hacked somebody up with a bottle the day before. But that's, you know what I mean? That's the mentality yeah. of eating beans and doing stupid shit. So they, they heard we were there. So they set us up. And we got jumped by probably like so three carloads of kids. So it was like 13 kids or whatever jumped us. And there was a moment where we all could have probably dipped and, you know, bitched out, took off, whatever. There's like fucking, we're outnumbered. Like, who gives a fuck, right? Like, so just like get out of here and not get fucking jacked but the kid my buddy mikey that stabbed the kid in the face with the bottle was such a mental case that he was just like i'm gonna go fight he just ran in to fight you know 13 fucking kids and i was in that johnny street level of like a solid criminal stupid shit that doesn't matter in life like i'm gonna stay and fight with my boy because i'll never live it down if i don't jump in and help him you know even though he's a fucking fool and just set us up for a drive-by we could have just like snuck out the side alleyway and so he gets jumped he's already on the ground bleeding they're stomping his head i run into help him i just like target the biggest dude and sucker the biggest dude in the in the like who looked like the alpha in the situation i got him caught him rocked him he fell and for like maybe fucking two seconds i thought Maybe I scared everybody else because I just hit one of the toughest, bigger fucking kids in, in the in the crew of them. Now, this and is then, right on the edge of the hotel. So it's just in a parking lot. It's dark and it's chaos. You know what I mean? Pitch black. So what happened was they had just, the hotel was a pretty new development. It hadn't been there a long time. It was fairly new. And the parking lot stretched out in the back to the quarry cliff and they hadn't put up a fence yet. It was like kind of like bushes and like little trees and you know what I mean? Like that kind of shit. And then it was just a drop. But you would never be like, typically walking into that area or over there for anything like why would you know and so I, there was a lawsuit and everything because of the marriage didn't have a fence after but um it, that's kind of where the fight was like developing and, and growing and after i hit that kid literally i remember like going down on the ground like falling to the ground and being like get up because they're gonna kick you in the face get up get up get up like don't let them kick you like and for like one second remember like why can't i get up like why 
can I physically not like push myself off the fucking ground and get up? Like what's going on? Cause I was falling and then someone hit me in the back of the head with like whatever the fuck they hit me with. And I woke up seven days later in BMC in Boston Medical Center, dislocated hip, separated my pelvis, bladder exploded, tore my urethra and had fucking a fistful of doctors telling me I would never walk again, never use the waist down. Um, was in there for 30 days with a tube in my dick, my nose, everything fucking literally being told I never walk again. Refuse to accept that. God, whatever you believe in, call it what you will, manifestation, the universe, whatever the fuck it is, I refuse to accept what they were telling me. Manifest in my mind was like, I know how to walk and taught myself how to walk again. Everything healed some fucking miracle way. Um, you know, it took months, but it like the physical shape I'm in now is probably better than when I went off the cliff. And um from that point moving forward was like I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to chase my dreams. I'm going to take all this horrific shit I went through and I'm going to write a screenplay. So how do I write a screenplay? So I just started writing in a notepad. And then I was in a short film with Lenny Clark. And Lenny Clark took my, he loved the idea of oxymorons, like where I had at that point. And he took it to Dennis Leary's people. One of Dennis Leary's writers for Rescue Me taught me how to properly write a screenplay. Like just the basic rules of writing a story, character development, and then just like how to write a screenplay, like action, dialogue, you know, shots and what not to put, what you don't need to put, what's a shooting script, what's a writing script, all that stuff. So I got kind of a firsthand like education on how to write from some pros, from some people that wanted to back me. And, and, and then so on. I mean, even till this day, like people from that world working in comedy is I was a door guy. So I was like, how am I going to network with people? to make movies if i keep going to boston casting and auditioning for the pizza guy the cab guy the guy in the bar the townie that's cool and all but even if i got every time secured that audition which is, isn't going to happen i'm never going to grow into never going to be like oh we're going to take you and it, like that's just so how do i get in with so the, how do i get already into the a-list circle so i, 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 I had the same I, I was in central intelligence with the rock and kevin hart you know mm -hmm. that movie they shot yeah, that yeah, in Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you, you'll see me for like four seconds. Mm -hmm. And after that, I was like, I never wanted to be an extra again. And I got to learn how to make my own shit. That's the worst, right? So Terrible. You I, could do it and it's it's great because you feel like you're part of it. And you can, I mean, you could be an extra and go and just like, if you're trying to learn how they do stuff and you've got the mind of, you know, to see and listen and learn, you can pick up some stuff. But if you're trying to act and you're trying to grow and you like, you want it now kind of attitude, which I assume you have, like I do. You got to make your own. You got to make your own shit. And so I, I learned that, and I just was like, well, I don't have money. People are interested in my story, but I do have a way of building. I'm a hustle, and I'll get equity. So I got a fucking jail. I, I used, for me, I utilized OxyContin at the time, which was f affecting everybody. And that's when people still didn't even realize that Oxy was heroin and heroin was Oxy, but just knew that everybody was getting these prescription pills and dying from them, becoming heroin addicts and dying from them from the, you know, the politicians all the way down to the street level. So I was able to utilize, listen, I'm making a movie showing the collateral damage and the dark side of OxyContin. Will you let me use the jail to shoot the movie in? Will you give me a cop car? Can I shoot these gun fighting scenes in the Bunker Hill projects without a permit? Can I? And you were the producer bomb. and the director. Oh, I was everything for mm -hmm. that, yeah. And I wasn't the director originally. Originally, I had this dude Christian Johnston attached, who I met at Sundance, who did a film out there called The September Tapes, which was a found footage film about a man who goes to Afghanistan trying to find out why they blew up the buildings because his wife was in the building. So it was like a action thriller found footage film, not a horror. 
but it was really good. And it was official selection at Sundance, so that it held, he held some weight at the time as a director. And when we were getting ready to go into production, I already had a, a UFC fighter attached, Tim Sylvia, to the film. I got the red camera, the DP, so I had everything ready to go. And he got stuck in Beirut, Lebanon. The car bombed his hotel. He didn't get killed or anything, but he got stuck over there because of this incident. So you and, had to do it. And by default, I became a director. Yeah, I would. My I wrote the movie to that's, act. That's destiny. Yeah, I wrote the movie to act. He was playing the role I was playing in the film, wrote it, and was obviously producing. I didn't even realize I was producing. I was just like making my movie. I didn't even feel like producing to me. It felt like all the things I had to do to make this happen because nobody else, no matter who I hired, was going to be able to do any of that shit, right? So so I was producing too and then became a director by default and was like, ooh, I like this, you know? I like this part of it and I can do this. This is, I need to be here because how is he going to be able to make this scene in real authentic to this he's never even been here you know so so yeah how much bread total did that cost you to make oxymorons uh 150 on the ground we raised so we started with 100 the hype became you know so i i had 100 and could have finished it for 100 i could have finished it for 50 if i had to you know how were you raising bread at this time so because of the james gandolfini thing all these guys in the north end that own this fucking restaurant, this coffee shop, all wanted to be a part of this project now. And a couple wanted to be actors. So I was like, all right, I'll bring you in. To, to clarify, sorry to cut you off. What Johnny's saying is like the lead in The Sopranos was attached to the project. And the North End in Boston is traditionally an Italian neighborhood. And all those dudes are obsessed with The Sopranos. So they were all pumped to get involved with this movie. Right. No. Yeah. Continue. Sorry. And so... I was able to raise, you know, 10 grand from this guy to be in it, 10 grand from this guy for his son to be in it. So everybody that had kind of a little role in the film probably invested 10 grand into the movie or so. And then I had 50 grand of my own money that I hustled, however the fuck I hustled, and was like the most amount of money that time that I had ever been able to fucking save or put together a gain from where I gained it from um, and invested that into... The film. So I match funds. So I got five people with 10, 50, 100. And then once we got going and like Channel 5 was filming us and the Phoenix was, you know, covering us and the Globe and and then people were coming down on set and seeing, you know, oh, Tim Sylvia at the time was a, still a big UFC fighter. Still had a big name. Um, oh, the police are involved. Oh, the, you know, every, so people like, how do we get involved? And so we were able to raise another 50K. Um then the story out here where the post where I left that spot that was trying to steal my film and ended up with uh, this place called Hydraulics in Santa Monica that was a visual effects house. But I met the um, the head there, the visual effects executive producer, Scott Michelson, who was able to raise all the post-production for me for free for Oxymorons. So that final cut that you see and that has went on Netflix and had all the success it had was because one guy watched it who's from Connecticut, <clears throat> seen the scene where we were jumping off the Tobin Bridge, knew my story of how I just almost blew up a building to save my film, but appreciated that. So there are people that appreciate what some people will go through to like fucking do what they have to do or keep it real. And literally donated, I don't even know what the, what, you know, to me, there's like no number on it, but, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars at least in post production with, no handout for anything in return, just like a, just a favor. And then my editor from that became the senior editor at that facility, making like a quarter of a million dollars a year. So my guy that stuck with me and cut my film originally for a hundred dollars a 
12-hour fucking nights and crazy shit we were doing in Southie, has now lived out here in L.A., grown to be a, an amazing editor, doing big things. Now he's at Sugar. So, but that's someone that I, you know, I kept it loyal to and brought him out here to L.A. with me and kept him on the project when I had someone else throw me money now in a post house to do the post production the right way. How are you feeling during this time? Are you like, what the fuck? I fell off a cliff. I was in prison. And now I got a movie that's like manifesting in my hands. Yeah, I mean, like there were scenes when I just when I was filming Oxymorons before I even got to that point where I'm actually in Hollywood doing things, where I'm pissing in the toilet like one of those metal toilets that you have in jail, and I'm pissing in the toilet, and I, you know, it's a stupid memory, but it's just a reoccurring memory so many times because you got three years and every other time you've been there of like peeing in this like metal toilet and you'll never pee in that toilet anywhere else in the fucking planet unless you're behind, you know? So it's just like a, it's that. And I'm doing it in the jail in Bonstable, but I'm filming my movie. So it, it was very surreal. I can't really explain I get um, it. It was a scene from your life. Yes, in, in, in a thought back in jail of like, never mind just getting out of jail and not going back to jail and turning your life around, but like, I'm never going to come back here and I'm going to fucking make a movie and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this still in, and then actually doing it, you know, with all these assets and all these people and actors and the red camera and all these things that I had put together as a wish list that I was able to bring together and, and make that film, which has given me a career, uh, you know, from that. I think we could talk about this for like 10 days, but just cause we're tight on time. I, I just want to shift. Yeah. Um, so we all watched Habitual. Now, did you shoot that in Massachusetts? I did. I was going to say, what's that? Is that like the uh, Taunton Mental Hospital? Westboro and Tewksbury. Okay. So so it, did you reach out to the state for that, or did you go all independent? So, I no, I reached out to the state for Westboro, found out that they sold it back to the town of Westboro. Same thing. Went into City Hall, said, hey, listen, here's what... You know, when I did Oxymorons, I had nothing but a screenplay in the Gandolfini thing attached to that. Now, habitual, I've already completed Oxy. I have an anti-opiate nonprofit in Boston. So I'm like... You're I, official. I, yeah, and I, and I got you know I got important people that will back me. pitch that way. And so just went in with my DP and said, hey, trying to shoot this movie that talks about fentanyl and you know drug use, but I want to use the asylum as a backdrop. I was just trying to get in to the courtyards and stuff. So I was going to shooting warehouses and stuff that, you know, that we have enough buildings in, in Massachusetts where a stairwell in an old school could look like the stairwell in a lunatic asylum. I'm surprised you didn't go to that one in Waltham. So that one's so... Ferris Center or something uh, like Fer that? Fernal. Fernal. So I did go there. Fernal had just had a fire at the time. Someone was in there at night, not supposed to be in there. So they lit two buildings on fire. So they weren't letting anybody in there because of the health hazard and everything. The place is spooky. Right. And so... But Westboro had 13 buildings. 13 buildings in a functioning DYS facility at the bottom of it. So I said, they're probably not going to listen in the buildings, obviously, but we're getting these courtyards and I can shoot in the tunnels that they have and all the outsides, and then we'll just double up and we'll shoot the interiors wherever the fuck we shoot them. This school, that building. When I had ideas in my head of places I already found that had that feel, you know? And the guy was like, after he's seen it, he's like, do you have liability insurance? I was like, yeah, I get a certificate of liability insurance for the production. It's like 1500 bucks, two grand, whatever, for a million dollars. And so I produced that to him and he gave us access to all 13 buildings and he's like you're gonna have to wear masks we do special masks before masks were a thing now you had to wear these like c100 masks that keep out asbestos particles 
to kind of go into the buildings with suits on, like these white fucking like, you know, painter suits, whatever, and find the buildings in areas that didn't have tile flooring insulation. So anything that was like cement wood was free game because there was no asbestos. But anything that had the old tiling and the, you know, any kind of insulation you want to stay out, keep obviously the cast, they're not going to have masks on doing their scenes out of these rooms. So we've built the whole map of like entrances and exits where one, you know, for certain scenes would have to go in the bottom of a building and cut through these, they had these underground tunnels that were built out of brick and cement that had no asbestos that connected all 13 buildings. So we shot in these tunnels. So, and then you've seen what you've seen, obviously, in Habitual. But it was, I got the money in November late. How much? I got $75,000 to start. And everyone's like, wait. Private? Get more money. Yeah, private. Yep. Get more money first before you do it. I'm like, fuck that. I'm going to have money in escrow. I'm going to use it for a flight out to LA. It's going to fucking chip, 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 chip. Now I'm going to be at 50. 75, I can get this done. I know I'm going to get it done. And I know I can pull favors in LA in post production. So if I got to shoot it for 75, I will. So I started shooting it for 75. Same thing I did with Oxy. Like, started shooting with less money. And then. And had just been sick of trying to raise money to do a film, by the way. So I was staying in one location, shoot it here, and we could do this for 75 over uh, 21 days. And brought in a cast that had no, you know, acting history, no resumes or anything. But I knew that they could act. I, I know knew, Allie. You know Allie? Mm-hmm. So I, Allie was a musician that was my mother's student that came to me to help her with her music. I said, I can't help you with music, but you should audition for this movie I'm doing. She came in, auditioned. When she auditioned, when Allie auditioned for the role, there was another girl from MTV that had like a lead role. And Allie did her audition, and I knew that she was, that girl was gift. I'm like, she could fucking carry this lead role, and she looks good on camera. She like just shines on camera. And I said, but, you know, we already have this girl in, and my DP talked me out of it. Make a long story short, Coming coming onto that production with her, playing a small role. We had that one location, raised more money. It was freezing out. It was like, because so, I went, I just was like, I'm going to shoot this raw in the cold. It's like fucking 18 degrees out now, January, December, January, right, um, right up into the holiday, holiday break, and then sh- pick up the rest after the holiday. And more money came in. And then Tewksbury State Hospital, I connected with and was like, oh, we have a building that the canine, state canine used that, a lot of movies I want to use, but never literally use it. But because of what you're doing and because of our mental health facility and rehab facility, I would love to give it to you to shoot your rest of your film and if you want to use it. So we ended up getting a building that was built in the late 1800s called the Nerpy Building at Tewksbury that had no asbestos, heat, running water. How did the two, the people who gave you the green light in Tewksbury find out about the movie? Are you like marketing the film the whole time as you're shooting? As I'm shooting, I'm still making connections and I have my team calling people and I'm like, it's fucking freezing out. And I don't know how much longer I'm gonna be able to drag these kids through the fucking ice for. We need to find another building. And but we were also trying to use Tewksbury for their contemporary hospital, not for asylum shots. There's a whole chapter of the movie where I rewrote Allie's role and Allie became a much bigger character in the movie and actually chopped the other actress off. And sorry to cut you off. This is going to sound so stupid, but you are the villain in the movie, right? Yes. Well, there's two villains in the movie and there's, yeah, no, I get it, but that's you. Yeah. Yeah. 
I've been trying to figure that out the whole time. I'm like, I think it's him. But oh, the just, mental case? Yeah, you just yeah, look so me. much yeah, different. No, yeah, no, that's me. Yeah, no, it's a whole different, you know, it's going into character. <laughs> Did you know that? Losing weight and not sleeping for days. Well, the hair's different. Pale, the yeah. hair's different. Grew my hair out, you know, and, and that's, yeah, it's, it's acting for me. That, I love that, playing that role. You did a great job. Um, thank you. No, I appreciate it. And wrote that role in too on the, so originally I wasn't, my role was, I was just an odd security guy and I was trying to not make it about me being the actor. I was trying to focus on telling this crazy, bizarre story where you got to kind of connect the pieces and kind of watch it a few times to really catch everything and developed it into a whole another story where I added my character in Simon and stretched Allie's character out. We were shooting in the contemporary piece of Tewksbury Hospital where it took place outside of the rave, outside of the asylums. And by chance, we were trying to get that location, which we got, they offered me the other building that we were able to do the stairwell scene where we hung the girl upside down and we were able to knock down those old wooden doors where the patient's fucking fingernail marks were still on the door. So it was very authentic, very real. Had weird energy, but- You've always I, liked horror? Always loved horror. And I just wanted to do something that was like, just different, you know, I wanted to touch the horror world wanted to tie the drugs into it, wanted to get a little psychological and mindfuck people, not make a film that's mainstream for everybody. I always like to try to do something that's just a little bit fucking different, you know? Um, and so I came up with that whole concept and story. And yeah, and then for me, in these indie films, if I'm, I will not marry myself to the script. People are like, just be efficient, shoot what you shoot for your edit. That's a bunch of bullshit when you're, you know, coming off a hundred grand or whatever it is and trying, you know, and you can compensate for things gotta adapt things. yeah you adapt yeah so now we're gonna have to wrap up shortly but so are you out here working on something else because you were saying you're working on a docuseries or something yeah so i um just shot the pilot I'll send, did i send it to you i didn't see it yet no another pilot um more proof of concept i should say um so they're tearing down the bunker hill projects that i grew up in in charleston oh yeah, yeah yeah so they're tearing those down and building a 1.7 billion dollar complex and I'm doing a seven-episode docu-series about the history of the Charlestown Projects that ties into a lot of true crime elements, 49 Unsolved Murders, all the racism, force-busting stuff of the 70s, how the, the buildings were built to begin with in the 30s when they like literally burned people's homes down to build the housing development for Irish veterans that were longshoremen to where they're at today. So we just go through like the 30s, the 60s, the 70s, you know, all the way up to back to today and tell the story episodically um and i have a lot of good attention on that it's first time for me ever doing like a documentary style thing a lot easy easier as far as like it's you know it's post really is what it is and storytelling there's no stresses um, of being on mm -hmm. a set no none of that but i got three horror movies that i'm attached to as a producer actor on that are all in pre-production moving into production now here in la um and then another crime drama that i'm involved in so, so you're busy. I'm busy, yeah. No, I'm gratefully busy, gratefully, you know, able to come out here. I was just here all of April, went home for a couple of weeks, I'm back, and meeting people, new people, networking like yourself. You know good I mean? guys. Yeah, good guys, Boston guys, you know. Cambridge. You know, Cambridge, yeah. I, I don't want to claim it if it's not really me. Whatever at this point, you know. But he claims Boston, but this dude's from Dublin. All right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Connie Clark. All right, let's see. I know, I know my shit. Yeah, no, I heard it when I came in. Yeah, I heard it when I came in. I love it. 
Um, all right, we got to wrap, but uh, I would love to do another one sometime. Yeah, let's do another time. one. Let's 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 now that we kind of know and I know where it is and everything. Let's let's maybe build another one. Now we could go a lot of different places, probably. For sure, you're a great guy, man. I appreciate, appreciate you. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you having me, dude. Appreciate yeah. what you're doing. Appreciate you uh, just networking with grinding. guys. Yeah, no, you got to do it, dude. You do it. You're on the right path for sure. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, this is how we start and end the show. You got to slate to the camera. You got to say hi. I'm only gonna say it once, too, Johnny. Also, I don't know if you know this, but my real name is John. It's John Connor, just like the Terminator. Like Terminator. Oh, exactly. Shit. You know how many times I've gotten that in my life? Like, oh, bro, just like the Terminator. But you go by Connor. I go by Connor. Right. Tough divorce, tough divorce. Parents, tough. Thanks for bringing it up, Kill. Anyway, hi, your name, and this is my golden hour. Directly after, no break, hi, your name, and that was my golden hour. <laughs> Hi, my name. And this is my golden hour. And this is my golden hour. Directly after no break. Hi, your name. And that was my golden hour. So directly after no break. Come on, you're a born salesman, brother. You've been doing this your whole life. You got this. They're like they're like so similar though. That's so, the point. But you're sharp. You're quick witted. Yeah, I know, but you're hitting me, right? I'm trying to say it. So it's this camera, this camera, right? No, it's just one camera. Center camera. I got I got this hot ass fucking light blasting me in the face. But you look Hollywood. Man. I haven't eaten at all today. I rushed over here. But you had life water. And now, now I'm rehearsing lines. Came to do a fucking just a on the wind podcast. Now he's got me working. Um. All right. Hey, Johnny Hickey, my golden hour. Um. And then, and then no break. And then what do I say? All right. We do it one more time. Ready? Hi. This is Johnny Hickey. And this is my golden hour. Hi, I'm Johnny Hickey, and that was my golden hour. And that was my golden hour. This is, that was, you got this, it. This is, that was, perfect. Live from Hollywood. Three, two, one, said hike. Hi, this is Johnny Hickey, and this was my golden hour. Hi, this is Johnny Hickey, and that was my golden hour. Did he get it right? Did he get it right? He did not. This is, that was. This is, yeah, that, that was. was. You that got was. it. Right. That's right you said right. this was. Oh, this is, and that was. All right. God damn it. Everyone fucks it up. Hi, this is Johnny Hickey, and this is my golden hour. I am Johnny Hickey, and that was my golden hour. Well executed. Try to. Good. Cool. Appreciate it. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait. Was that not it? Hey, enter. Just, you forgot to enter.